0: for tuning in for part two with our discussion with Paul Jay. Uh, Paul Jay is an award-winning documentary filmmaker, journalist, and the founder of TheAnalysis.News. Paul, welcome to part two again. Thank you very much. Let us begin with Iran, a topic that you have been covering for many, many, many years. Um, there was a lot of hope when uh, President Biden uh, came into office, uh, when he was voted in that uh, the GCPOA will be revived. Now we're seeing the situation in Iran, uh, the state turning towards its people. There's a lot of human rights violations happening. Uh, There's a lot of conflicting reports as well because a lot of the mainstream media is uh, uh, exaggerating the figures and the numbers. We don't know the exact situation, but what we do know is that the people are rising up. They're fed up with the authoritarian religious theological regime of the Iran of the Iranian state and now certain reforms are coming place as well uh, but the US is stating that uh, the sanctions that it's imposing and also the moratorium on the GCP is due to the fact that it's concerned about the human rights situation are you convinced with the State Department's uh, justification are they really concerned about human rights and how do you assess uh, the uh, stalemate concerning the GCPA?
1: Uh, I'm not sure. There's a, there's a way to characterize the question because you know how much I think the State Department is concerned about human <laughs> If they're concerned about human rights, you know, i lived in Baltimore for almost 10 years. If they're concerned about human rights, how about starting with their own cities? Uh, the Department of Justice investigated the, the Baltimore police force and in their report stated that the constitutional rights of ordinary black Baltimoreans are violated every single day of the week in Baltimore. Poor black people and Hispanic people and white people in many parts of the United States, but particularly black people, have no democratic rights in the United States, next to none. You know, arrested without uh, probable cause, thrown in jail, beaten the shit, murdered, tortured. So, if if the United States government actually cares about democratic rights, you would think they would at least start at home. And 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 they and they don't do that. Of course, they couldn't give a damn about democratic rights uh, in Iran. And the obvious, if they cared, they wouldn't be, you know, kissing the uh, a holes of the Saudis. Uh. I mean, the United States will never have an iota of credibility about democratic rights in the world as long as they're in alliance with the Saudi Arabia with Saudi. and they wouldn't anyway. I mean, this is a country that supports dictatorships all over the place. So of course, it has nothing to do with it. Okay, Why isn't the nuclear agreement uh, being uh, reinstituted? Well, my understanding is when the when the agreement was being negotiated, and when Obama was fighting for this agreement was one, is one of the few things I give credit to Obama for. In fact, when he was elected, I never drank the Obama Kool-Aid. I was very critical right from the beginning that this was just another center, even center-right Democrat. I would say center, center-right's not fair, a centrist Democrat. But I had one hope for Obama, that he would be rational on Iran, and he was. And so was Biden. Uh, Larry Wilkerson tells me that when they were fighting to get this, uh, Larry Wilkerson, can you
0: just briefly?
1: Larry, uh, who I interview all the time, and you just interviewed recently was the uh, former chief of staff to Colin Powell. Um, He says that when when they were trying to uh, when they were getting ratification for that uh, treaty uh, and support for the treaty in Congress, that Biden fought for that and was a real proponent of that. The nuclear treaty with Iran, and I remember, in a, in, a, in even in the vice presidential debates in the election, Biden was very rational about Iran. Um, but not now. So why? And I think because the real objection to that treaty from the American hawks. Uh, and certainly from Israel, and certainly from the Saudis, who who maybe even at least were, I don't know, ex- it somewhat change, changes a little bit, but the Saudis were the most provocative about wanting the Americans to uh, attack Iran, is not the nuclear missiles, not the potential nuclear weapons in Iran, of which there's no evidence they were ever building any anyway. I mean, zero. You know, the uh, National uh, Security, I can't remember the name of it.
0: National Security Intelligence Estimates.
1: Yeah. They said the Iranians had stopped any attempt at building a nuclear bomb prior, what was it, 2003? And there's not even hard evidence they were even doing it then. And even if they were enriching uranium, it looked more like just some threatened leverage. Uh, But all that being said, Everyone knew that if Iran had a nuclear weapon, it would only be for defense, like for North Korea. Why aren't they being more aggressive against the the West, against North Korea? Well, because they got nuclear weapons. I mean, there's evidence. I mean, if Ukraine had a nuclear weapon, would Russia have invaded? Not very likely. I mean, the truth is there is a deterrence to some, you know, having a nuclear weapon or two. Uh, So if it wasn't really about Iran having a nuclear weapon, which, you know, they're not throwing And Why would Iran send a nuclear weapon to Israel? I mean, it's insane. The, Reno, I mean, the Americans would take Iran out the next day. So would the Israelis. Uh, I mean, it's nuts. It's, it was only for defense. So what do they really worried? And Pakistan has nuclear weapons, the country that I'm from. Yeah. I mean, uh, nobody's sending nuclear weapons aggressively right now, because anyone you'd send them to. The only place where there really is a threat is against a non-nuclear state, and that's uh, we can talk about that as a separate subject matter, because that's the problem with the development of tactical nuclear weapons against non-nuclear states, and that is a real threat. But let's back up here. So what, what's really holding this up? The Americans' real opposition, the Israelis, the Saudis, is the Iranian ballistic missiles, non-nuclear but they have now very sophisticated ballistic missiles that can strike targets with very smartly as they did after the killing uh, of the uh, Iranian general they threw one missile at a, what a near an american base that's just to show what they got so they want they don't they want ballistic missiles to be included in any agreement But why should Iran include their ballistic missiles? They're not nuclear. I mean, Iran, according to the IAEA, almost entirely, if not entirely, has lived up to the non-proliferation agreements. But ballistic missiles, non-nuclear ballistic missiles, have nothing to do with it. Iran has a right to arm itself every bit as much as any other state has. And there's no evidence the Iranians are using their military might uh, you know aggressively yeah okay maybe they have some presence in Iraq but nothing compared to what the Americans did in Iraq maybe the Iranians have something going on in Syria all right well it's in their damn neighborhood and and whatever the Iranians have done in Syria is nothing uh, compared to what the Americans did in Syria and the Saudis and the Qataris and the Turks and the Russians I mean go on and on so, That's withholding up that agreement, and it's B.S., because the original agreement should simply be lived up to. It was the Americans that that screwed it up, not the Iranians, and the Americans should simply do what they agreed to do. Just because Trump was a maniac doesn't mean they have to continue in the maniacal way. But the pressures coming from the the right-wing hawks in the U.S., the Saudis, the Israelis, and so on, they just want to drag this out now the whole thing's nuts if in fact and this is where you this comes back a bit to the ukraine conversation too if your primary geopolitical adversary i love the term is china then why the hell are you pushing russia into china's arms why are you pushing Iran into the Russia-Chinese orbit? It's insane from an American geopolitical perspective. If you really believe China is your adversary, and I think that's a stupid equation anyway, but that's how they've, they're pivoting and positioning, why are you strengthening all the, these uh, allies with China? And it's clear because, and this is the most important thing to get about all of these questions monopoly capitalism is not a rational thing. It's rife with internal contradictions and competing interests. Like, I'll give you an example Boeing makes it, Taiwan is not one of Boeing's top 10 customers, but it might be in the top 20. Military, for military sales, an important customer. But guess who's the number one, at least in 2020, and now I don't know. Guess who's the biggest purchaser of Boeing domestic aircraft? China. One company is completely schizophrenic on whether to boost tensions with Taiwan or, uh, you know, be friendly and sell to the Chinese uh, domestic aircraft market one company now extend that out you know the tech biz- tech industry they want to squash chinese competition they want access to the chinese market it goes on and on you know even between germany and the united states you know i happened to be in albania right during and just after the fall of the communist government there there was fierce contention between Germany and the United States, or who would become the dominant Western power in Albania? And I I, I knew a guy who was a secretary to the Central Committee of the Party of Labour, not the secretary, a secretary. And he said there was a meeting with Ramiz Aliya and an undersecretary of state from the United States around the time, just after the PLA won the first open election, which they did win the first one, and the Americans said to the PLA, to Ramizili, and my guy I knew was in the meeting, that, listen, we will recognize your your election victory, we'll even work with you, because they were starting to do some market reforms and things like that, but on one condition, only us, not the Germans, so even within the NATO alliance fierce contention they look at that submarine deal with Australia you know the french had a deal and then the british and the americans stabbed them in the back take out their legs to get this submarine deal so so capitalism is a is a vicious competitive system of concentrated pockets, states, and fundamentally about concentrated private ownership. It's not so beautifully rational. So when it comes to Iran, of course, from a strategic point of view, they should suck the Iranian theocracy into the American sphere as they have the Saudis. Ah, but if you did that, not only would it piss off the Saudi and Israeli elites, but you love this Iranian uh, threat. It you know it justifies anti-ballistic missile systems in Europe, supposedly directed against Iran. Uh, um, and of course, the same thing goes with Russia. Why wouldn't you suck the Russian elite into the Western sphere of orbit, rather than push them to become what they're practically become—a a satellite of China? Because it makes money for the military-industrial complex in a short-term way because of this tension, even though in terms of the grand chessboard, it's pure stupidity. It's There's no great, smart, central planning brain here. It's a bunch of contending interests, mostly focused on short-term profit, willing to risk even nuclear war. I mean, they don't want nuclear war, but they're willing to come very right up to the edge of risk and completely they're not, they even know climate change is coming. They, it's not like they don't know the science or don't believe the science. They're so in a bubble of profit making orgy and all the internalized. Geopolitical nationalist narratives that they they won't deal with this. You know, it's like a herd of cattle coming to destroy your your town. You know, they're on stampede, but you're more worried about am, am I going to make money through my little store today or not? I mean, it, the whole the system is nuts. The, the monopoly capitalist system is out of solutions. But we're not in a position as progressives to deal with that fundamental problem, which is this concentration of private ownership. We're just not there right now. So while we need to educate people and talk about this all the time, we also have to look look at some short-term demands to at least mitigate the risk. One of the things I've noticed is
0: there's a like when we talk about the gcpu gcpu8 the joint comprehensive plan of action which was the iran deal that was scuttled by uh trump and uh and now it's uh, put on pause uh, is that none of the media analysts or articles are written for example that we're asking somebody not to produce nuclear weapons while we are uh, improving our nuclear arsenal every year, modernizing it. It's similar to somebody who told me then, um, it's like asking somebody to quit smoking while you're smoking yourself. You know, like how, how come our media does not address uh, one of the most important issues, which is the um, military-industrial complex, uh, the entire nuclear arsenal that's being modernized and improved and submarines and we're talking about now, New jets, F 35s, and all of that. Um, Why is there so little critical coverage uh, regarding the military industrial complex and the way we conduct ourselves in in the world diplomatically, asking others to disarm while we are arming ourselves to the teeth?
1: Well, uh, let me speak to the United States. It's uh, it's harder for me to talk about Europe, although somewhat similar, I'm guessing, but in the US and Canada, To a large extent, it goes back, well, even to the coverage of the use of nuclear weapons in Japan. Um, The the uh, anti-Japanese, anti-communist propaganda was at such a level during World War II, towards the end of World War II particularly, and then as the Cold War begins. The mentality of hating the other, and the uh, fear of being called a traitor, the power of you know patriotism and nationalism. Uh, this is what mobilizes people for war, and it was certainly done during World War II. They have to justify the use of the atomic bomb, which was totally unjustified, unnecessary, but. American official narrative of both the Democratic and Republican parties, and let's remember it was the Democratic Party that dropped the nuclear bomb, is that that was necessary and it was the beginning of the defense of democracy. So it's it's very much at the core of the American identity. Next is the Cold War, meaning McCarthyism, the House of Un-American Activities Committee, that purged... American institutions, the trade unions, Hollywood gets the most profile, but not just American government, it purged the progressive left and greatly weakened the left uh, in American society. Again, you're a commie, you're associated with the party, you're a traitor, blah, 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 and people went to jail. Thousands and thousands of people lost their jobs. Uh, it, it, you know, it, you know, Maybe there wasn't a Siberia to send people to, but it was as bad, almost as bad, at least, as any purge that happened in the Soviet Union. Um, and it, it, it puts a, a tremendous chill in the media. Um, and it also, in terms of the way the media hired people, they were very careful to hire people that would stay within the lines of what was considered patriotic. Uh, jumping ahead, this takes a, a leap in intensity after the 9 11 attacks. Uh, there's a quote from Dan Rather. Uh, unfortunately, it's a quote he gave to the BBC and didn't say in the United States, but he should have, you know, when he was host of CBS News. He said that uh, after 9 11, to critique the White House would have been akin to being called a traitor in a South African township and having a flaming tire of patriotism put around your neck. Now that's Dan Rather says that. So 9-11 created this atmosphere in American journalism, newsrooms. It was very explicitly said in newspaper editorials and by Bush, you're either with us or you're against us. And it was very specific. If you try to attack, attach the attacks on 9-11 to U.S. foreign policy, you're blaming the victims, meaning the people in the Twin Towers, and you're supporting terrorism. That was imbued. The newspaper editorials in the whole Western world said that. I remember it explicitly because I was running the main political debate show on CBC in Canada, and we went on air the day those editorials hit. And I wrote an introduction for our host, which said, if George Bush had gone on the air a few days ago and, and asked us to grieve for the people in the Twin Towers, we wouldn't do the show tonight. But he asked us to go to war. And he says, you're with us or you're against us. So we have a right debate. What debate whether we're going to this war or not. And we had a real debate about U.S. foreign policy in spite of all the attempts to intimidate us not to. And in fact, Canada didn't enter the Iraq war later, and I think partly because of our efforts. We were on national television. But it intimidated American newsrooms. And anybody who uh, diverged both on 9-11 coverage and then leading up to the Iraq stuff, was diminished, fired, not hired. Then the other thing happens uh, uh, over this time period over the last 20 years, a tremendous concentration of ownership takes place, especially oh seven oh eight, where you have these big asset management firms like uh, BlackRock and State Street, and Vanguard's one of the biggest. Go look up who owns the media listed on the stock exchange. It's all—it's Wall Street. I mean, 93% of the New York Times is owned by financial institutions. Who owns the companies that make nuclear weapons? Ha-ha. Same financial institutions. Aha. Who owns Lockheed Martin? Aha. Same financial institutions. Because these big index funds buy the whole index, the whole S&P 500, and they have discretionary money they put in. Who owns the fossil fuel companies? Haha. Aha. Same big financial institutions. So the media is now owned in a way. It's always there's always been this kind of intermonopoly stuff, but it's at a level now that's never happened before. Such concentration of ownership. So it's not that anyone has to even go and say to a journalist, you know, you know, you know, don't do this, do this. People know how to self-censor. They know the lines to stay within. Now, you get journalists who are just on the ground reporting, whether it's the Washington Post, New York Times, who often do quite a good job. You know, they see something and they report it, and it gets printed often enough. But when there's ever opinion pieces, and especially editorial pieces, and the overall approach to an issue, there the editorial boards shape it. So the overall coverage winds up being like stenographers for the State Department. So so why aren't we on the nuclear issue, which is maybe the most taboo issue of them all? Where is there any serious, real serious discussion? You get a report like they were just going to do a, a nuclear, uh, this did, a nuclear posture review as part of a, this new defense authorization. And the woman that was leading it, dared to raise the issue, one, should we really have a first strike as a possibility? Why don't we you know, at least consider taking first strike off the table, which the Americans have never done? And two, do we really need such a massive new modernization? Well, <laughs> within, I don't know, within a few weeks, she was gone. They got her fired from that position. Um, there was reporting on it. But why not headlines? Why not? Why it, listen, why isn't there a public debate about American nuclear war strategy? Because it's taboo. You're not supposed to talk about the fact that ICBMs are useless. They're not in any way a deterrent. In fact, what they are, this is amazing. I, I'm I, in this film. I'm doing with Ellsberg on on, on nuclear war. I'm going to go to Montana and I'm going to talk to farmers that live near ICBM missile silos. Do you know what the Hawks call these ICBM missile silos? Nuclear sponges. You know what they, and there's another phrase they have. It's just escaping me now. But the point is they want them to be targets because they think if, Russian missiles go after the ICBMs, there'll be less Russian missiles to hit cities. So I want to say to some of these farmers living next next to these silos, do you know that part of American strategy is to make you a target? And of course, the same thing goes for the Russian farmers living next to—there's absolutely no reason to have ICBMs. The deterrent is in the submarines. ICBMs are absolutely bullshit. What are they? They're part of the trillion-dollar ex- mili- expen- ex- new expenditure on a new, a whole new uh, generation of ICBMs, so they can be better nuclear targets. I mean, it's it's madness. And uh, whether it's climate, whether it's uh, nuclear issues of war and peace. Capitalism is irrational and mad within this madness we need to get ordinary people to see through this stuff and one start electing people who who stand for a real climate program who stand for the um, at least mitigation of the nuclear risk that stand for the against an aggressive foreign policy and in the streets in terms of mass movement and protest. You know, in 1982 or 83, a million people protested in New York against nuclear weapons. We, we need to merge the climate movement and the anti-war and anti-nuclear weapon movement. It has to become one. And it needs to be in the streets and it needs to have an electoral uh, expression. Okay, and, and, and One more quick note on Iran. The Iranian people have a right to democracy, and I don't mean BS democracy, uh, but still, even BS democracy is better than none. Um, The Iranian people, and I have to say, there's more democracy in Iran than there is in Saudi Arabia. So at least there's some kind of elections in Iran that have some competition. I mean, there's you know, Iran, Iran, Iran's more democratic than Saudi Arabia. That being said, the people of Iran have a right to rebel. They have a right to overthrow this theocracy if if that's what they want. And the Americans just stay the hell out of it. And any support the Americans give to it is only because they want to manipulate it. So I'm hoping the Iranians are, the people, wherever this goes, uh, you know, Have have see through the American BS and don't allow the Americans to interfere in it. Now, of course, the Iranian theocracy is going to blame the Americans for everything. I I saw this morning they just hung an Iranian protester. Uh, And and so they're starting to actually uh, execute. Uh, It's a vicious uh, regime. But you talk to most of the activists I've talked to, most of the people that hate the theocracy, they'll start with denouncing the sanctions, the American sanctions against Iran. They'll denounce American interference in Iran. They want the Americans to stay the hell out of this whole conflict. But the Iranian people have a right
0: to rebel. Uh, Major media outlets uh, like The Guardian, The New York Times, Le Monde, Der Spiegel, El Pas have finally come together and publicly condemn the U.S. persecution of WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange. And I quote here um, a statement that they release. This indictment sets a dangerous precedent and threatens to undermine America's First Amendment and the freedom of the press. Um, Although the major media outlets have finally come after 12 years to release a statement like this, yet uh, when we go online every day on their media outlets, they don't for example, um, provide the same frequency of coverage, for example, when it comes to Alex Navalny or other uh, activists, uh, for example, in Iran. And I think it's good to provide uh, uh, people who stand up against the government um, uh, some coverage. But when it comes to our own uh, uh, dissidents, uh, our media does not provide the same frequency and quality of coverage. Why do you think it took so long for the media, for these media networks to band together? And why is there so little frequency of coverage when it comes to uh, the case of Julian Assange?
1: Well, there's certain issues, as I I was talking about before. There's certain lines that are drawn that you need to stay within if you want to keep your job in most of the mainstream media. Um, and it's with, you know, under this kind of rubric of patriotism and nationalism and all this. Uh, but like for the, even now, but for the longest time, you couldn't even talk about the Saudi role in 9 11, never mind the Bush Cheney role. Like, I mean, you know, you know this story I've told you before. You know, I interviewed uh, Senator Bob Graham, who out and out directly accused Bush and Cheney of facilitating the 9 11 attacks. Now, whether he's right or wrong, you know Bob Graham is the you know, former head of the Senate Intelligence Committee. I mean, this is a serious guy. I've got him on camera saying this. I offered it to every news organization in the US. Nobody would take it. Well, there's certain lines you don't go beyond, or you're looked at having your quote-unquote own agenda. You know, you're outside the official agenda, and you'll lose your job. Um, Julian Assange. Is now that in the beginning, when he first released stuff, WikiLeaks released stuff to these major papers, and the major papers printed all that. Um, he was he was within the realm, you know. The big major publications wouldn't have worked with WikiLeaks if they didn't consider it credible at the time. Whatever what happened afterwards, right or wrongly, there was certainly a campaign to discredit Assange because he kept releasing stuff, you know, the Clinton stuff and other materials, you know, he keeps poking, you know, the American Eagle in the eye. And it's not like they're not going to fight back. I don't know the truth or not truth of his relationship with, um, what's his name, Stone, the Trump guy. There's some emails between the Trump camp, supposed emails, um, There's supposedly something to do with the Russians. I don't know if any of that's real or it's all bullshit. Honestly, it doesn't really matter because that isn't why they're trying to keep Assange in jail, hoping he dies there. Now, I think the last time you and I talked, I think I said this, but I'll I'll say it again. Obama had decided not to prosecute Assange. Uh, Because if you prosecute Assange, how can you possibly not prosecute the New York Times, the Clatchy, and all the other publications that cooperated with WikiLeaks? It's the same principle. I know they're trying to say that Assange was more implicated because he told uh, Chelsea Manning how to make copies of it, but I don't think they even have have any evidence of that. and and so Obama looked at administration looked at it and said, look, we can't go after Assange without going after the New York Times and so on, and and dropped it. So when Trump starts the prosecution again, and Biden continues, if you take the Obama logic, then it actually is a threat against these mainstream publications. It is a th- saying to them, you be careful. Because, yeah, we're going after Assange today, but if you work with someone like a Chelsea Manning again and you start digging in around the, you know, the files of the, you know, the real classified files of the state, nothing's going to stop us coming after you too. And so, you know, years, it took years, but finally some of these big publications finally realized that it's getting closer to maybe actually the deportation of Assange and this trial actually happening, um, that they released a statement. Because, you know, the Obama logic holds. You know, if you can convict Assange, then, you know, you know what if it's DeSantis, you know, some Republican? I don't know if the Democrats would, would go after the New York Times, but a Republican might. So if they finally they issue such a statement, you know, saying, okay, enough is enough. And I believe the Australian prime minister just said enough is enough. Um, and I also think do the Americans, I, I think I said this last time, do they really want Assange on a public trial in the United States? Cause Assange's defense is going to be to content, condemn us foreign policy. My defense is your crimes and the people's right to know. Even if a judge tries to limit that and say that's not a legitimate defense, because that's what they did against the Chicago Seven, you know, Seven or whatever it was in 1968 was the trial. You know, you know against when they had this protest against the Dem- Democratic Party convention, they tried to make U.S. foreign policy the issue. The judge wouldn't let them. It didn't matter. That's all anyone talked about was U.S. foreign policy. The same thing would happen with the with an Assange trial. But everyone's going to go back and revisit the war crimes that WikiLeaks, Chelsea Manning, exposed. Do they really want that? I don't know. Maybe the, maybe even the Biden administration may want some of this pressure to build and not deport Assange. What the Biden administration—I should shouldn't say Biden administration. It's the whole American state— because certainly the Republicans are even more gung-ho. I mean, there's the story of Pompeo and, and Trump talking about finding a way to kill Assange. Um, they want Assange to die in jail. That's what they want. But it may be the legal processes are getting to a point that they're going to have to put up or shut up and either bring him and put him on trial, because he, he he's not dying yet. So maybe things are converging that maybe they will at this point drop it. Maybe, I don't know. But you're asking why it took so long. It took so long because the Americans uh, were hoping he'd be dead by now.
0: Yeah, and the other point is that they've already punished him. I mean, it's not like uh, the process has not punished him 12 years. Plus, we're talking about with no sunlight, with no interaction with his family outside of the embassy and then later in the... Uh, in Belmarsh prison, and to the other point that you made, uh, as far as I know, he will be tried in a district court in Virginia, and you're not allowed to make a public uh, defense. So you're not allowed to raise, uh, for example, the dam- the the importance his work had for the public interest. Yeah, and that. It, that might be a problem, and I've heard also that that specific court—I don't, I can't recall—it has like a ninety-nine percent rate uh, against whistleblowers, against investigative journalists, and always in favor of the military and stuff. So um, let's see what's going to happen with that trial. Um, um, there is some movement happening right now in Latin America. Uh, the Brazilian Parliament, uh, I think, has uh, just. Uh, Come out in favor of the Australian Prime Minister, as you just uh, mentioned, and there's the, the major media outlets have just released a statement, so there is some public opinion changing in this matter. Uh, to close this interview, I would like to uh, just ask you about uh, what we talked about off camera uh, your documentary that you're just recently producing with Daniel Ellsberg. Can you tell our viewers a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah, a little bit. It's called How to Stop a Nuclear War. And uh, it it, it starts with Daniel's uh, history of the madness, the complete irrationality driven by profit-making uh, of nuclear American war strategy and plans uh, right from uh, the end of World War II on. The, the, uh, the big lies, uh, the, the missile gap was a complete lie. You know, in 1960, 61, Kennedy was talking about how the Soviets were surpassing the U.S. in ICBMs and claimed they had a 1,000 ICBMs. When it turned out, they had four. Count them, four. This is part of what led to the Cuban Missile Crisis, which is going to be part of the film. Uh, but, but the structure of the film is about what needs to be done now. For example, eliminating ICBMs, which are just extremely dangerous. I just remembered the name. Uh, the, they called them... Uh, s- nuclear sinkholes. In other words, they're meant to attract, if there's a nuclear war, Russian missiles, meaning wiping out whole sections of Montana, uh, nor- I think uh, North Dakota, Nevada, Montana is one of the biggest, uh, right near the Canadian border. So any Canadians listening to this, like Winnipeg's gone, You know, one of these nuclear sinkholes, maybe it will uh, Take missiles away from cities, but some major Canadian cities are toast—literally they're toast—and so are the rest of us. Because I mean, it's all going to wind up in nuclear winter anyway. There's there's no win. There is no winner with a nuclear war. But ICBMs are a total boondoggle for Lockheed Martin, which just got another multi-billion dollar contract to build this these new ones. So one, get rid of ICBMs. Completely. And Americans don't even have to negotiate it. They have enough capacity in the submarines to have deterrent. I mean, that's the fundamental thesis of what needs to be done. Every country should get to a level where the nuclear capacity is at the bare minimum for deterrent. Yeah, we'd like to get rid of them completely. It's beyond imagination that in this kind of world, we can get rid of them. But let's focus on the issue of actual deterrence, not first-strike capability. Like Pakistan and India, way, way beyond deterrence in terms of the number of weapons they have. What's the point? Uh, same thing goes for the Russia, for U.S. China was the one, until recently, that had stayed at the level of deterrence. I think they were under 200 missiles, and even that's probably significantly more than necessary to be a deterrent. But now, because of this massive new buildup by the Russians and the Americans, China is now starting to expand again. And of course, China has its own military- industrial complex. you know, it's not like you know there's any benign players here, but the Chinese were more rational about this until recently and it looks mostly under US and Russia pr- Russian pressure and let's not forget as much as Russia being pushed into the Chinese orbit there's contention between Russia and China in many parts of the world uh, for influence this is it goes back to this interimperialist you know complication so the film is structured around the need for renewed negotiations it doesn't matter what's going on in Ukraine there should be a treaty negotiated. You know, in two years, there will be no nuclear arms treaty at all. ZIP, unlimited ability. And the previous uh, treaties actually did work. The the mutual inspections between Russia and the US, even to to today, apparently, the inspections are still going on. So the the nuclear treaties actually were effective. The number of weapons there were, were reduced. So we need to demand elimination of ICBMs. We need to get first strike off the table. We need to get rid of first strike weaponry off the tables, like anti-ballistic missile systems. Or this new thing the Americans just announced a few days ago, a new B-21 stealth bomber with nuclear weapons capacity. So imagine that. They could take a new Ultra high sp- hyper speed stealth can't be seen on radar with nuclear weapons. What does that do? Now, forget Ukraine, that would be terrifying sitting in Moscow. Now, you're starting to talk existential threat, not NATO and Ukraine. The B 21's an existential threat. Now, of course. What what Putin when Putin was asked if there was a nuclear strike on Russia and you were deciding whether to have a second strike, knowing it would be the end of the world, mind you, so would the first strike, but anyway, he was asked, would you launch the second strike knowing the world would come to an end? And his answer was, what's the point of a world without a Russia? Well, the Americans think the same way. It's insanity, man. So the film is about demands that people should make that are even within the realm of what could be accomplished in today's world, because the truth is, as much as there's a lot of money-making driving nuclear war plans, it's actually not that much money. Like when you look at BlackRock and the big financial companies that, as I said, were the big owners, The amount of money that goes to their bottom line, from the manufacturers of nuclear weapons, is actually very small. So, you know, if there's any rationality left in capitalism, and and in some areas there's some because their own asses are on the line, even for pure self-preservation, there are steps that could be taken. But it goes back to another point you made. There is so little public debate about nuclear war planning. It's like, you know, it's it's like, I don't know, in the Catholic Church, you can't question the Pope. I don't know. You can't talk about it. So this film is meant to be, and, and we have a, actually, I'll tell you, because it hasn't gone public yet, but I'll tell you. Uh, we have our narrator now. It's going to be Emma Thompson. So... It's a big name. So the film's going to have a lot of profile. And if people want to support the film, they can donate to the analysis.news because the analysis.news is is driving this film.
0: We will put a link uh, in the description of this video. Pause. Uh, 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 I got to say one more thing. You got to
1: donate to you guys, Activism. You got to donate to these guys because they do great work. And uh, they're doing interviews that a lot of people aren't doing. And uh, so as much as I want you to support the film and whatever, first, give Zane support.
0: Paul Jay, uh, award-winning documentary filmmaker and uh, founder of TheAnalysis.News. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Zane. And thank you guys for joining us in our discussion with Paul J. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel and our alternative channels on Rumble and Telegram and to donate to our current crowdfunding campaign. Without your support, we cannot continue our journalism going forward in 2023. I'm your host, Zain Raza. See you guys next time. These are the building blocks that make up our organization and the goals we would like to achieve. In order to continue our journalism and realize these values fundamental to our democracy, we need 1,000 supporters in our crowdfunding campaign, donating only 5 euros or dollars per month via Patreon or bank account. Right now we have only 200 supporters and are not able to take the next step. Our future is in your hands. Strengthen independent journalism and be part of meaningful change.